0: Wow, what a great weekend, amen. You guys have a great time that weekend. You know what makes me laugh? All of you after that are like, oh, so amazing, man. I love that. And I was like, yeah. You remember two months ago when I was begging you to sign up and you were being kind of a jerk about it and we kept going into this fight? Please don't do that next year when we get ready to register. I'm just so grateful for all of you that were able to go. And I just want to be a reminder, those of you who signed up for baptism... Uh, We're going to be having the class for that in a couple, actually not this Friday, but next Friday before small groups. So I want to encourage you, if you signed up for baptisms, we're going to be contacting you. And even if you didn't sign up for baptism, but you want to be baptized, I think right now we had about 15 kids sign up. And so we're going to be baptizing you, I believe it's the 26th of May. Uh, I made Pastor push it up. I said, Pastor, can we do it sooner because I don't want nobody getting cold feet. I want to baptize people already, man. And so Pastor agreed, and we're going to go ahead and do that. And I just think, man, how cool is it that we baptize so many teenagers, my hands get wrinkly. I just think that's awesome, right? Because you already took years away from my life, so I might as well get my hands a little wrinkled. And so we're so grateful for that. So I want to encourage you, listen, if you have not signed up, you're more than welcome to come to the class, and just because you go to the class doesn't mean you have to be baptized, but I do think it's important for you to understand why we baptize, and so if you want to come to class, be informed, and then we can make a decision afterward, amen? Awesome. I was thinking about uh, tonight, and um, you know, I, was, I was reminded of this story. It's a story I've, I've told a number of times here, but for those of you who are new, I think it's important for you to know this. Um, it's a story about my little sister. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the food at camp, then you've known my little sister because her and her husband were the one that cooked all the food. Now, when you see her, she's this four foot eleven, just barely missed out on midget height uh, girl. Who uh, you know, she has she's sweet and she seems really nice. But like most of the women in my life that are sweet and seem really nice, uh, there's another side to them. And uh, Jenny is one of those people who has a quick temper. Anybody here, you can go zero to 60 like that? Like you just, you're nice until somebody messes with you, and then it's like, Rear, like it comes out real fast. Jenny can go zero to 60. And the problem with her in particular is she's the kind of person, maybe you guys, you know, you have a brother or sister like this, or maybe you are this person, that when you are mad, you throw things. Anybody here throw things when they're mad? Okay, y'all are psycho. We should get you checked out if you, because here's the deal. People who throw things when they're mad, They never check what's in their hand. They never wonder, should I throw this, right? They just, it's in my hand, I'm going to chuck it, right? So you can be, you know, ironing out your hair and be like, oh, well, third degree burns on you. You just start throwing stuff, right? Well, sure enough, there's this one time where me and my little sister were doing yard work. And I'm pretty sure I was making fat jokes about her or something to that effect, And I'm teasing her and I'm messing with her. And she just had enough. So she decided to throw something at me. And at that particular time, she had gardening shears in her hands. And so she took those gardening shears, those giant scissors, and chucked them at me. Now, me, I tried to protect what I could. So I just turned around and braced myself. And it hit me in the back of the leg. And I'll be honest with y'all, I just thought she bruised me. Like, I felt the hit. I was like, ah, that kind of hurt. But I just thought it was a bruise, right? So I tried to play it off. I'm like, oh, oh my God, that's so horrible. Oh. But then I look. Those things went through my jeans and into the back of my leg. And I see all this blood going down my leg. And I look at her, I'm like, oh, you're so stupid. <laughs> I was like, you're dumb. And I just remember going upstairs, and I'm like, bah, look what your psycho daughter did. And he goes, oh my God, we don't have insurance. Get in the shower. And I'm like, dang. So I got in the shower. I guess that's what you do when you don't have insurance, right? I got in the shower. I washed it off. And I kid you not, as I'm in the shower, I hear my little sister come up and my dad, what's wrong with you? You're insane. And my dad just beat the living daylights out of her with his belt. I just heard screams and I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. So I'm like cleaning up, I'm trying to, you know, get all regulated, and so I finally get out, and it was a Saturday, and we didn't have no insurance, and the clinic wasn't open on Saturday, so we drove around all day long looking for a free clinic. We finally found some, like, little, I kid you not, storefront with the the old Filipino guy who I'm pretty sure was a doctor, I hope was a doctor, who, who just threw me on the table and stitched up the back of my leg, and so I needed stitches. And I have a scar on there. But I kid you not, for hours, I'm just holding it with, you know, paper towels. Like, like man, can you bleed out your leg? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to figure out the science behind this. And finally, I got home after getting stitched up. And I go to sit down next to Jenny, who's in the living room. And, you know, she's sitting there with a blanket on. And she. we love each other. So she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm like hobbling as I walk in. I'm like, are you okay? She throws a blanket off. She got these big belt marks on her. She's like, yeah, I'm okay. But I kid you not, for two weeks, both of us were walking with a limb, like just trying to get everywhere. And, and I tell you that because I'll be honest with you, it's a little strange when you have an open wound on your body. When you have a cut that's not just blood, but you can see a little bit of meat, you know what I'm talking about? Like you see the white part, and you're like, I'm not supposed to see that. And I remember I was thinking about this as I was thinking about these wounds. One time we were at summer camp and there was this kid, I don't know if some of you were there that year. There was this kid who was on this, what they call the blob, which is you sit on this half-inflated tube and then another person jumps on one end and you get thrown in the air. Well, he got thrown in the air, but he didn't go forward. He just kind of went straight up. And when he landed, he landed by one of those steel rebar bars and just sliced elbow to wrist. His entire forearm, like a filet. Like, I swear, it looked like, like I was at the carniceria and the guy was giving me some lomo. There was just a big old filet. His flesh just butterflied open. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I totally freaked out. And, and he was, bro, he handled it like a boss. though. He was just like, yeah, I got cut. I was like, no, bro, you got filet. Like, that is not a cut. Like, straight up. It just opened up the white, the bone. It was all nasty right? It was just gross. (laughs) Now I'm telling you something, I got stitched up, that kid got stitched up, but you could imagine what would happen if he never would have got looked at. Could you imagine if he and I both just walked around with an open wound? Like just with, hey guys, and all this meat and skin that's falling off, like, how you doing, right? The problem is if you just walk around long enough with an open wound, you can get infection, you can get, Your limb taken off, your whole body can end up falling into sepsis. You can literally die from an open wound. And tonight I want to talk to you about open wounds. Because I think some of us are walking around with wounds that we've never gotten addressed. And the problem is they're not physical wounds. I think a lot of us, we walk around with spiritual open wounds, we walk around with emotional open wounds. These are areas where we've been injured, areas where we've been affected. It could have been last week. It could have been 10 years ago. But it's a moment in your life where you got filleted, where you got cut deep. And the problem is many times when we are hurt internally, sometimes because we're too young to even rationalize and understand how to deal with it, sometimes because it's easier for us to forget it's even happened. Those wounds just stay open. And they begin to manifest in other things. And the problem is, if you don't learn to address them at some point, you almost will never realize where they're coming from. You'll end up having issues in your marriage, and you won't understand that part of these issues or a majority of them stem from a wound that happened to you when you were six years old. But because so much time has passed, you can't even make the correlation. You're sitting there with a drinking issue and you don't understand how you got to that place and you don't understand because it correlates to a wound that was so long ago that you don't even remember it. Some of these wounds are the reasons why you have such insecurity with your physical body. I think about this sometime and I'm I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but I always tease Jonathan Alioto, you know, our, our guitar player. I always tease him because I say he's a walking Ken doll. I'm like, dude, you are just so handsome. I hate you. But it's funny because I've had Jonathan since he was a fifth grader. And if you don't know Jonathan, back when he was younger, Jonathan, he had a little bit of an ugly duckling phase, right? He had a lot of acne. He had a horrible, horrible haircut. I mean, just like like three bowls on his head got cut. It was just weird. He was short, asthmatic, picked on, Bullied. And, and again, just because I love him and I know he's he's comfortable with this kind of transparency, I remember as he got older and he began to, to go from an ugly duckling to a beautiful swan and he began to develop, that wound of when he was young, those, those weren't going away quickly. And there was a lot of times where Jonathan still struggled with his own insecurities, but still feeling like that pudgy, acne-filled, bad haircut 10-year-old. And no matter how much he developed, no matter how strong he got or how tall he got, And even to this day, there's little seasons of it where I'm like, Jonathan, stop it. (laughs) Where that creeps up. Why? Because open wounds can last a very long time. And if you don't learn to address them, those things that you call insecurities that are really open wounds, they only get bigger as you get older. And they manifest in different ways. And you try to address them in different ways. And so I want to talk to you today about these open wounds. And to do that, let's look at Luke chapter 8. There's an interesting story here about Jesus as he's walking with his disciples. And Jesus is on his way to go do a miracle. And this story talks about a miracle within a miracle. Because you know what? Sometimes God intervenes in times where you're not expecting him to intervene. And there's a situation where he's getting ready to go to a man's house and, and heal his daughter. And in the midst of that, somebody who needs Jesus comes across. And it's this woman that the Bible tells us had struggled with an open wound for 12 years. She she had an issue of bleeding. And so, if you're looking at your Bible, I want to read from verse 43 to 48 and listen to what the word of God says. It says, A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, he touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me. Let me just pause right there for a moment because this isn't part of my notes, but I think it's important for you to understand. Sometimes we feel like we can't bother God because there's a whole bunch of things going on. Sometimes we feel like, no, there's so many people here that God doesn't doesn't want to worry. I don't want to bother God as if you could ever bother God. And the Bible tells us that as Jesus was moving, there was this giant crowd that was all pushed up and pressed up against him. And even amongst this giant crowd, Jesus notices one person who touched him. Not even his physical skin, but the hem of his garment, meaning the bottom part of his coat. Why? Because Jesus notices you when you're willing to reach out. Jesus pays attention, even if it's the slightest effort, he sees your heart and he sees when you're willing to go after him. And so in this moment, he asked the question, who touched me? And the Bible again says, everyone denied it. And Peter's pointed out, everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. Let me explain why she's so scared to give you context of what's going on in the scriptures. This issue of bleeding, this 12 years of uncontrollable bleeding, what it resulted in in their culture was in her becoming ceremonially unclean. Okay? Okay. In the Bible, they talked about how, in the Old Testament how they weren't allowed to just touch certain things or interact with certain, certain things because that unholiness would be transferred over to you and then you would become unholy. That thing that was unclean would make you unclean. And so you weren't allowed to touch dead things because that would make you unclean. You weren't allowed to do certain things because it would pass over onto you. And so this woman of bleeding was not allowed to interact with people. She was not allowed to touch people. She was not allowed to be around people. She had to let people know that she was unclean so that they would stay away from her. So the fact that she's in this crowd is a big deal. And if she speaks up, this can be serious trouble for her. This can possibly cost her her life. But she realized she can't stay hidden. So she began to tremble, fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. And that she had been immediately healed. And this was Jesus' response. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I want to talk to you about this open wound situation. Wounds left untreated can cause serious, serious harm. Wounds left undealt with can cost you the limb and the whole life. And just because it manifests in this part of your life, doesn't mean it won't transfer over to other parts of your life. Wounds cannot just be left ignored. Wounds cannot just be forgotten. At some point, they have to be dealt with. And so before I get into how we overcome wounds, let me give you uh, an idea of what happens when you allow a wound to fester. And it's something that began to happen in this woman's life. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. Wounds will isolate you. Wounds will isolate you. Like I mentioned, in Jewish culture at that time, her condition would have made her ceremonially unclean, which means this, she could not worship with everyone. If you look back, right, at the beginning of the story, it kind of mentions that a little bit. When she was unclean, she was not allowed to worship anyone. Here's what I've understood and noticed in my years of doing ministry. When somebody has a wound, they have a hard time worshiping God. When someone is emotionally wounded, when someone is spiritually wounded, one of the first signs, and if you want, you need to look out with this for each other. One of the first signs is a person who used to worship no longer worships. A person who used to fellowship with everybody begins to slowly detach themselves. A person that used to be a part of small groups suddenly is busy on Fridays. A person who used to come every Thursday suddenly is busy again on Thursdays. Suddenly they start to pull away from the group. They don't respond to the group text anymore. They're not encouraging anymore. They begin to isolate themselves from everybody else. That is a clear sign of someone who has been wounded. When you are wounded, the last thing you want to do sometimes is go to God. The last thing you want to do is hear God's word. The last thing you want to do is pray. And what do you do? You begin to isolate yourself away from God. And you convince yourself in a weird way that God left you. That God no longer wanted to talk to you. But the reality is, in that wounded state, you pulled away from God. And subsequently, you pulled away from each other. You know how I know this? This always amazes me. When somebody walks away from church, when somebody walks away from God, and it can be people that I've, I've worked with, I've lived with, I've done things with, and, I, and I've really been a part of their lives. And I could have personally not done a thing to them, but it amazes me how many times somebody walks away from God, cuts me off of their life as well. Blocks me on their social media, blocks me, doesn't talk to me anymore. And I'll be honest with you, there are times where I'm like, well, what did I do to you? Like, dang, I can't even be your friend anymore. <laughs> why, why do I think they do that? Honestly, one of the biggest reasons is because I remind them of their relationship with God. And by cutting me off, it's just another step of cutting God off. Because they know if I, if I keep that relationship with Pastor Joey, if I keep that relationship with my leader, if I keep that relationship with my friend who, who encourages me and brings me back to church, I know they're going to want to bring it up, and I don't want to hear it. Why? Because I'm wounded. And I want to isolate myself. And I don't want to hear from anybody. Because wounded people tend to withdraw and pull away. Not only do they withdraw from God, but we tend to withdraw from people. The Bible tells us because she was ceremony unclean, she couldn't touch anyone. She couldn't have contact with other people. And again, that's a good sign when you see somebody and they don't want to respond to your text anymore and they don't want to make eye contact with you anymore. And- They don't want to come to small groups. They don't want to be a part of things. They don't want to come to breakaway. There's all these things that they normally were always all about. And suddenly they're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't want to do that. Or my parents won't let me. There's these random excuses that start popping up that were never there before. I'm telling you, that's a good sign that they're wounded. And listen, sometimes if we're not careful, we start taking it personally. We start getting angry with the person. But remember, we talked about this over the last several weeks. This isn't a flesh and blood issue, okay? This is a spiritual issue. And so I've learned a long time ago not to try to take it personally, not to get mad that, that they're not talking to me. And so we got to take this inventory and understand wounded people, they're going to want to pull away. And today's wounds, we still do the same. When we're wounded, we pull away. We start to pull away from our devotion to God, from our worship. Where where before we'd listen to Christian music and we don't want to listen to Christian music anymore. Before we would read our Bible and we don't want to read our Bible anymore. Before we would take time and pray before we go to sleep. Now we don't want to pray anymore. Why? Because we're wounded. We need to be careful. Because wounds tend to isolate you. But listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers... All parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Why am I saying that? Because it's important for you as the body to keep the body together. This cannot be the responsibility of Pastor Joey. This cannot be the responsibility of your leaders. You are part of the body. And so if one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. If one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. And you have to think about it. Think about it within the context of a body, right? Think about, like, if, if, if you're maybe working with your hands. Let's say, you know, you're hammering something, and you're hammering with the nail, and you accidentally hit your thumb, right? When you hit that thumb, what you don't do is stick your thumb straight in the air and go, ow. <laughs> right? You don't do that. You don't go ow, my thumb, get away from me, thumb. <laughs> no, what do we do? We pull the thumb in. We put your, your other hand over the thumb. You suck on your thumb. You're like, ah, ah. You hug it, right? You like it fully embrace your thumb. You ball up into the fetal position and rock. You're like, ah. You don't pull the thumb away. You bring the thumb in close. Guys, you need to help us. When you see one of your brothers or sisters become wounded, don't push them away. Pull them in. Don't cast them aside. Don't look for a replacement thumb. Pull them in as much as they're willing to let you. And even if they reject you, even if they isolate you, keep the door open for them. Because if and when they are ready to return, what you don't want to do is make them feel bad for when they were wounded. And then when they do want to return, they can't because now they have to face you. You want to make it so that they're happy to come home, not embarrassed to come home. Because wounds will isolate but a loving family will embrace those who are wounded. If you find yourself pulling away from the group, being closed off or superficial in your conversations, there may be a good chance you're wounded. The other thing that we learn from this story is that wounds will cost you. Wounds will cost you. If you're reading in your Bible, Luke chapter 8, verse 43, the one verse that talks about her Issue of bleeding, there's a footnote, meaning there's a little asterisk, and then if you look at the bottom, there's a footnote that states that some of the manuscripts, some of the copies of the book of Luke that we have, add this one little portion, this one sentence that says this having spent everything she had on doctors, she could not be healed. There's a little footnote. It's not in all the manuscripts, so they don't put it there officially. But it isn't enough manuscripts where they tell you, hey, this is also said there. And I think it's said there for a reason. I think there's a lot of insight that we can look at this. Because when we are wounded, what we do is we go to several different doctors, quote unquote, for healing. We go to all types of things to find healing, things that are not God. We turn to all type of doctors, such as Dr. Alcohol, because it takes the edge off. Because I'm wounded, and so I want to numb the wound by drinking. And if I can drink and we, we say other things, right? It's like, no, you know, I'm just trying to have fun. I'm just trying to loosen up. No, you're trying to numb an open wound. And let me tell you something. When the alcohol fades, not only are you left with an open wound, but a bad hangover as well. We turn to, to Dr. Alcohol to numb. We, we turn to Dr. Cutting. When we're struggling with an open wound and and we feel the numbness that has resulted from that open wound, sometimes inadvertently we end up cutting ourselves because we want to feel something. Part of the reason, the, the psychological reason why people cut themselves is because they don't feel anything. And so when they cut themselves, there's this release of endorphins and euphoria that comes, and there's this sudden rush of emotions, and sometimes that's the only way they feel something. And so in order to address the open wound, they create a new physical wound. And let me just say, it's not just ladies that do that, by the way. As a matter of fact, there are some guys that do it that way, and there are other guys that do it a different way. They just don't associate it as cutting, Because if you're a guy and you get angry and what you do is punch walls, it's the same thing. Because when you're punching that wall, you're, again, releasing endorphins that create a euphoria. You are hurting yourself in order to feel something. It is the same exact thing. And that mentality, that doctor cutting or that doctor hurting, the reason behind it is, well, if I feel pain here, maybe I won't feel pain here anymore. And you're trying to address your open wound. Sometimes we turn to doctor drugs. And people say, well, what's wrong with, with getting high and what's wrong with doing it? It just gets the edge off. It's not addictive. Listen, here's the wrong thing about it. I don't care if it's legal or illegal because I know the state is fine for all I don't, I don't care about any of that. What it ends up being is a bad substitute for Jesus. And what you end up doing is saying, listen, so that I don't have to deal with the open wound that's going on in my spirit and in my heart, I'll just get high for a while. And in that high, I don't have to think about it. And in that high, I'm dazed. I'm away. It is a poor excuse for self-medicating. And again, the high never lasts. The high will always fade. And what you're left with is still that open wound, and it's maybe gashed open a little bit more with guilt and shame. I don't care what drug it is. There is no drug that can ever substitute what God does. Drugs block the reception of pain, but it doesn't heal the pain. It blocks your feeling of pain, but it doesn't heal what's causing the pain. And too many of us would rather not feel pain than have healing in it. Sometimes we turn to Dr. Anorexia. Because a wound about our body, a wound about how we look, causes us to throw up or not eat. Causes us to do things like overwork and and, and physically work out in order to maintain a perception of our body. We turn to Dr. Pornography. Because we struggle with lust. And as I've heard it, many Christians who say, listen, be, this helps me. This this helps me not to engage in lust with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I, I take off the edge with pornography, and that's not true. I'm sorry. Really, all you're doing is feeding a beast. All you're doing is creating a greater hunger. And sometimes, especially if you're not careful, that image and that fantasy of sex becomes the only reality you will ever have. And you'll wonder why your spouse will not be able to fulfill you sexually, because that's not how your brain was wired. As a matter of fact, they've mapped it, and it amazes me how the world is starting to come across this. This isn't a Christian thing. Now you're seeing in a secular setting, the world is trying to combat the issues of pornography, and, and sometimes we snicker, and we're like, oh, it's just porn. It's not that big a deal. No, it's becoming a big deal because of the way it does affect your brain. Because what they found when they mapped the brain is as you're watching it, it opens up a stimulant in your head that is the same stimulant that opens up when you're on drugs. And the problem is you're overstimulating your brain. And so that portion, imagine it's like a door, it opens up and it opens up too much for too long. And the problem with that is when it reaches that, what little things might have aroused you won't arouse you anymore. So you need to go to more and more. That's why in the beginning it might be something simple, but now more and more it's becoming increasing the level of pornography and the darkness of it. As a matter of fact, some of the studies are showing that the number one sites or the number one type of pornography that junior high kids are watching is bestiality. Because it's gotten that far where normal doesn't satisfy. And they're showing 16-year-olds that can no longer be sexually aroused without pornography because that's why, you know, they talk about gateway drugs and how that first high you never get and you go darker and darker. It's the same thing with what happens within your brain. And imagine as a spouse not being able to compete with the image on a screen. Imagine the insecurities you'll have then when your significant other would rather satisfy them with what's on the computer than what's sleeping next to them at night. Sometimes we turn to doctor relationships. Listen, I love my friends. I love my wife. I love the friendships I have. But I need you to understand there is no relationship on earth that can do what your relationship with Christ does. And the problem is sometimes with those open wounds, we put the pressure of Jesus on another human being. And we expect that person to be God for us. We wouldn't ever say that, but we put that pressure. We expect them to always be there, to always respond to our texts, to always respond to our calls, to be the ones we cry on, to be the ones we go to, to be the ones we yearn for. And listen, that weight is not sustainable for another human being. Eventually, those people get tired of you. And eventually those people leave you. And then you're stuck wondering, why do people keep leaving me? Why, do, why does nobody want to be there in my life? And then you get this victim mentality that nobody's there for me. Nobody cares about me. No, that's not true. You just keep trying to throw it on people that can't carry the weight. Because if you had Jesus, Jesus can carry the weight of anything you're going through. Then those other people, they're just there to help support the extra stuff. They're just there to be a guide. Listen, I, I, it's like, hey man, I need help with my homework. Okay, let me help you. Do it for me. I'm not doing your homework. <laughs> right? Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> but that's what we expect from friends. So, listen, here's the problem with relationships it's not relationships in and of themselves, it's the expectation you're putting on that relationship. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to put the weight of what Jesus can do on another human being. And I'm sorry, that's just not fair. That's not fair. It's not practical and it's not healthy. And when that person fails you and person after person fail you and relationship after relationship fail you, that open wound that you were hoping that they would heal only becomes bigger. These doctors end up costing us more than our original wound did. But listen, John chapter 14 verse 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, And the peace I give you, meaning Jesus, I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. What is Jesus saying? Listen, what I do, the world can't do for you. What I offer, the peace that I offer, the healing of wounds that I offer cannot be replicated by another human being, by another friendship, by another person, by pornography, by drugs, by anything that the world offers as a cure. Meditation, yoga, that's all fine, but it can't substitute what I can do for your life. Well, you know, I release stress by exercising. That's cool, but there's going to come a point where that's not enough. Well, I really stress by reading. Hey, that's great, but there's going to come a point where that's not enough. At some point, you're going to have to go to Jesus. At some point, you're going to need him to heal that wound. And so the question is, how do we heal open wounds? Well, we do what this woman did. Despite the pressure, despite being ousted and possibly costing her life, despite the fact that a woman in that time should never just randomly go touch another man, she knew, if I can just get to Jesus. Man, if I can just get to his clothes. If I can just get to the bottom of his shirt. Maybe that'll be enough. If you want healing for an open wound, you got to go to Jesus. We got to take it to Jesus. We got to come before him. We got to admit be fully vulnerable and understand I don't care what it costs me. I got to get to him. Too many of us are unwilling to go to him because of what it might cost you. Yeah, but then I can't have the same friends. I, I got to get to him. But what about, you know, people in my life, I got to get to him. But does that mean I got to give up? No, man, it means you got to get to him. You, too many of us are sitting here counting the cost and we're not willing to go to Jesus. Too many of us are weighing our options going, yeah, but, you know, right now I'm young. I don't know if I really want to fully commit to this whole religion thing. Maybe when I'm older, I'm sorry, with that open wound, you really think you're going to get to older? Can you imagine how bad that wound's going to get by the time you're older? Could you imagine if I had a, a cancer in, in my body and, I, and the doctor said, yeah, we need to remove that immediately. You know what, man, I'm too young for surgery. Can we just wait maybe like 10 years, you know, when I get a little bit older and I'm not as active and that? No, sir, that will kill you. But we do the same thing with our spirit. Man, I'll just, you know, when I get married, when I have kids, then I'll I'll get serious about God. I'm sorry, nobody promised you older. I know as a teenager you think, man, I'm immortal, I will live forever. But tomorrow wasn't even promised to you. And so when you understand, when you've recognized, I need to get this wound treated, right? If, if suddenly something happened, I tripped and sliced over my arm, I'm not going to be like, mm, maybe I'll go tomorrow. I'm like, hospital, now, let's go. <laughs> right? And I'm getting dealt with that immediately. But you got to be willing to take it to Jesus. Listen, Psalm 173 gives you the heart of who Jesus is. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Some of us, we don't want to go to Jesus because we bother him. No, no. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Well, you know, I've, already, I've been hurt so much. I've had so many issues. I don't want to go to God again. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Do you know that at a hospital, a doctor can't refuse to treat you? You know, at a hospital, it doesn't matter if you were the victim of a shooting or if you were the shooter. The doctors can't refuse to treat you. They have to treat you regardless of your background, regardless of your race, regardless of your history, regardless of who you are. They are bound by their Hippocratic oath to treat you. Now, if a doctor can hold to that, what makes you think my Jesus is going to be any less willing to heal you, going to be any less willing to help you when you come to him in your hour of need? He heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. So here's my question as we get ready to close. Where are you wounded at? Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes the wounds are so deep and so old that it takes a couple conversations with people. It takes navigating some of these things. So sometimes it's not immediately something that comes to mind. It's not the quickest thing to say, I know exactly where I'm wounded. And I get that. And listen, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we come together as a family. That's why we have things like small groups. That's why we put together leadership teams to help do that with you. That's why you are here as brothers and sisters, so that we can help navigate some of those things. And I understand that. But at the same time, some of us, you know exactly what that wound is. Some of us, we have several wounds. And I'm not saying we got to deal with 90% of it right now. I'm just saying let's deal with one. Let's deal with one and when God can work on the next and God can work on the next. Because my whole life is a life of God healing, restoring, and sending me. You know what I love about Jesus? And I was just talking with a friend of mine about this earlier. Is that he doesn't want to just replace you. He wants to restore you. We're we're in a society where, where we just throw out things that are used. And God loves to restore. God likes to take the broken things and fix them. And bring them back to how they were when he first created it. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand. And while you're standing, I'm just going to ask you, worship team, if you can come up. I'm just going to ask you to listen to one more story. And uh, it was funny. I was, I was thinking about this story, and I'm like, man, I wonder how many of these people know this story, because I haven't said this one in a while, but several years ago, Maybe almost 10 years ago now, some of you who are here, you'll remember this. There was a young man in our youth ministry who had a lot of open wounds. And he had gone from home to home, and everybody kept kicking him out. Nobody in his family wanted him. He was dealing, he was smoking, he was doing all types of stuff, getting in trouble at school. And he landed at the last family. And this last part of his family happened to go to our church and happened to be involved in our youth ministry. And so they said, here's the deal. If you're going to live in our house, you got to go to church. you got to go to Excel. So he came to Excel regularly, but nothing ever changed. He was never willing to deal with his stuff. Messed around still. Still got in trouble. Still getting high. Still doing all types of stuff. Self-destructive. And it got to a point where that last family is like, we just, we can't do anything anymore. We can't keep him." And they were just about to get rid of him too. And just before this... He was complaining of a headache in his house, and they just thought he was trying to get out of school again. They thought he was just trying to be funny. But he's just complaining and complaining about this headache, and finally he just screamed out and just fell face down on the ground, like didn't even break his fall, just face to the ground, busted up his face, starts convulsing and bleeding out of his nose and mouth. Now, they're all freaking out. They call an ambulance. Turns out... He had a brain aneurysm, which means a blood vessel in his head burst open, and he's bleeding all over his brain. Ambulance takes him to the hospital, and they have to do emergency exploratory surgery to try to find the bleed. If not, this kid's going to die out on that bed. So I get the call. I rush to the hospital. Can I tell you all real quick what the best moment was as I get there? It's not a great moment, obviously. But when I got to the hospital, before me and before the family, You know who was already in that hospital? His small group. He didn't even like his small group. But his whole small group was in a corner of that waiting room calling down heaven praying for this young man. And his whole family showed up, most of which were unbelievers. And they were amazed that all these teenagers showed up to pray for him. None of his school friends, none of his buddies that got high, his small group came to the hospital and called down heaven for him. And the great thing is he survived the surgery. But he did lose feeling in half his body. Half his body was completely dead. And he had to relearn how to talk. He had to relearn how to walk and move and function with that part of his body. For months he was in a wheelchair. And eventually he got to a walker. And then one day we were doing a, a, a link event at Excel where we all got together. And it was a whole evangelism night where we are trying to get friends to say yes to Jesus. And we were doing this... Good catch. We are doing this thing that we called cardboard testimonies where you would have a piece of cardboard and you would walk up to the center of the stage. And and on one side it would say who you used to be before Jesus. And then you'd flip it over and it would say who you were now. And it was all these cool stories that people had. And I remember this young man came up to me and he said, hey, uh, can I do one of those? Now, mind you, at the time, he still ain't saved. He still hasn't allowed Jesus to do anything. He was kind of mad at God. But because he asked, I said, sure, buddy, you can do one. And I remember we were going person after person, and I'm sitting in the front row watching, and then he comes up. And he's got his walker, and he he takes his walker, and he's walking up slowly to the center of the stage. And he holds up this piece of cardboard, and it says, near fatal brain aneurysm nine months ago. And then he flips it, and it says, now walking with Jesus. And then he took a step back, and for the first time ever, he took steps without the help of anything. He just began to walk off stage. Man, I bawled my eyes out. I forgot to turn my mic off so you hear me crying. Oh, my God, oh, Jesus. And then I got up, and just like I'm about to do right now, I gave an invitation for people to say yes to Jesus. And there was a whole bunch of people that night that said yes to Jesus. But the one that I'll never forget was that young man who held the sign. He lifted up his hand and said yes to Jesus. And I'm like, wow, this is the first time in my life I've ever seen anybody get saved off their own testimony. (laughs) But listen, sometimes we wonder, well, why was I wounded in the first place? Why did God allow me to go through what he allowed me to go through? Well, here's the thing. Sometimes it was the only way to get your attention. Because if it wasn't for your wound, you wouldn't be here right now. Well, why would God do that? The same reason he wounded his own son to die on a cross and resurrect three days later to conquer death once and for all so that you and I can find healing in our wounds in him. So I'm going to have you close your eyes for just a moment. Like I said, I think many of you in this room, you understand very clearly what your wound is. And in a moment, I want to take some time we're going to ask God to help us heal. We're going to ask God to Maybe do some surgery on those wounds. But before we do that, I need to know, is there anybody here who has never said yes to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? You don't have a relationship with God. You, you never said yes. But as I was talking, the Holy Spirit began to touch on you. There was this feeling like, man, he's talking to you. I want you to know that was not my voice. That's God's voice calling you to a relationship with him. Saying to you, I can do more than heal you. I can love you like you've always deserved to be loved. But my God is a gentleman and he will never force himself on you. You have to be willing to say yes. So if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I have never made a decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're in that camp that you did a long time ago, but you walked away because you were wounded. And for a long time you haven't lived that way. But tonight you want to come back to Jesus and you want to make sure that you have a full relationship with him. If that's you, whether you've never said yes to Jesus or you want to restore that relationship again, I want you to just raise your hand right where you're at and let me know. I want to pray with you. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, brother. I just say, everybody keep your eyes, because can I just say something? Man, I met you back there, and I knew God was going to grab you. Man, I knew at the second I touched your hand that God was going to get a hold of your heart, and I had to wait 45 minutes for it to happen. But I want you to know this is the best decision you've ever made in your life. And I believe God can heal you from your head to your toe, but more than that, I know that God can love you. So here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask um, one of my leaders, maybe Abby, if you can come over here. And just pray with my sister. And if I can have Primo go over there. with Young man, if you raise your hand, could you show Primo who you are? Here's what we're going to do before we pray for everybody else. Can we all together pray with these saints that have said yes to Jesus tonight? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. You don't got to jump through hoops. You don't got to go through a class. You got to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that he can heal you. So all together, we've all made this prayer. So she's joining our family. He's joining our family. We're going to pray this together. Amen. Say it after me. Say, Jesus, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I know some of these wounds are my fault. But Father, I ask you tonight to heal me of my sins. To forgive me of all my missteps. To come into my life and restore it. Make me new. Make me yours. Teach me to love you the way you love me. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now listen, for everybody else, before we go. Because just because you have a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean you won't get wounded at some point. And tonight I want to take some time, if there's anyone in this room that needs healing, I'm going to ask my leaders first, would you come up and just kind of line up against this altar? And here's how we're going to close in just a few minutes. I'm going to ask if there are some of you That you're struggling because you have some open wounds. You're hurting. And you need prayer tonight. In just a few moments, I want to invite you to come up. But before we do that, let me just end with one more thing. And I don't know if they could put that scripture up. But I want you to know one more thing. For before you come up and after, when God heals that wound, not if, when God heals that wound, and I know he will, you have to be willing to tell people about him. And if you look at the last part of the story, the last piece of note is that when we're wounded, we have to be willing to share our scars. We always want to hide scars because we think scars are ugly. But scars are signs of healing, scars are signs that you made it, scars are signs that you are no longer wounded. And you have to be willing to share that scar. And it's going to be scary, just like that woman was scared. But she was more in love with Jesus than she was scared of the crowd. And so she was willing to open up and say, this is what God did in my life. And the Bible says that everybody heard her. And the most powerful thing and probably one of the greatest reasons why God wounded you is so that you can show his scar to others. And that can be a mark to how to come to the Lord. I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid to show your scars. Don't be afraid to allow Jesus to heal you and then show off on what he did. So like I said, I'm going to pray. And then if you're in this place and you need healing, our leaders are up here. Guys, meet with the guy. Ladies, meet with the lady. Matter of fact, if that's you, you can just start coming up now and and I'll begin to pray. But if that's you, I want you to encourage you to get out of your seat. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You're the one that has that wound. You're the one that needs healing. You're the one that has to live with it. Just come on up. Find a leader. Find somebody that you can talk to. Find somebody that you can connect with. And like I said, I'm going to pray right now. Leaders, you can just continue to pray. You can just continue to minister. And if at any point, listen, if you want to talk to somebody, they're going to be up here. They're going to be willing to talk to you. They're going to be willing to be around. We're going to stick around for a few minutes. Don't leave without having a conversation with somebody. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this healing, God. Lord, I know that you are the great physician. God, I know that you are capable of doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could have ever thought or imagined. And God, I thank you for the honesty of these individuals who are willing to say, yes, I'm struggling. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I have an open wound. But God, I believe you can heal us. God, I believe you can restore. God, I believe you can mend the brokenhearted. So God, I pray, put your healing hands over their lives. No matter how old the wound, no matter how deep the wound, God, I pray that your healing hands would overwhelm them. I pray that your healing hands would cover them, almighty God. Help them, O Lord Jesus, not to isolate themselves, but to be drawn to you, Almighty God. Not to look themselves with shame, but to look at you with hope, God. Lord, I pray that your loving hands would overwhelm each and every one of them, God, that they would be restored in Jesus' name, that they would be healed in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that as you begin to heal them and as those scars begin to heal, Father, I pray against any shame and condemnation, Lord, that there would be glory in that, God, that they would be willing to show off their scar, that they'd be willing to say, look what my God did. Look what Jesus did in my life. Look how he healed me, how he restored me, how he brought me back to full sonship and daughtership. God, let it be a magnet to you, O oh God. Lord, let these scars be the directional path to you, O oh God. Lord, let these scars be for your honor and for your glory. Father, help us to not be afraid of the crowd, but to love you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you're at this altar, you just stay up here as long as you want. And listen, if you guys need to talk to somebody, we're going to stick around. Don't feel like you got to rush. Wait till one of the leaders is freed up. Have that conversation with them, have that prayer time with them. Don't feel like you got to rush out of here. Amen. We love you. God bless you. Those of you who got to go, you're dismissed. And if not, if you want to talk, all I ask is you go to the hallway. But if you want to linger, if you want to talk to Jesus on your own, we're going to keep up here. Amen.